Well, good morning. You guys have a little bit of energy today. Some of you have had some extra coffee this morning. I've had a lot. So we're going to have fun together this morning. So a couple weeks ago, I was uh, headed to the gym um, to run because if, you're, if you haven't been here very long, I run. And all runners want you to know that they run. So if you're a friend with a runner, like myself, I'm a runner. Let me say that again. I'm a runner. And so I went to the gym because it's hot outside, and I'm not that much of a runner. And so I went to jump on the treadmill, and I got on the treadmill, and within moments of getting on the treadmill, this gal jumped on next to me, which was cool. I was good with it. And then after, after a minute or two went by, she, she did this. She, like, she like clicked what we call the click up. I mean, she, she sped up a little bit. Well, at that point, I had a little choice. Because I'm a runner. And so I clicked up. And I don't know if she noticed it, but I think she probably did at some point. Because about another half mile in, she clicked up again. At this point, I'm starting to get nervous because we're now clicking beyond where I should probably go. Um, But because I was not going to get beat by this woman next to me, all right? Oh, I clicked up. Then, then we just ran, right? I know that she was looking over every once in a while because I was looking over. I was like, you going to give up? She was like, are you going to give up? It was like unspoken gym language was being exchanged right there. My only sole goal in comparing myself to her at that moment was I wanted her to stop and get off before I did. I did not. At some point, I gave up. Now, for some of you, it's not the treadmill. For some of you, it's when you drive home today and you see in your neighbor's driveway that brand new car that's parked there. Or for some of you, it's the new house that your girlfriend and her husband purchased. For some of you, it's the school that your friend's kid just got into. We all have this crazy habit, and should I almost say, sin. Of comparison, right? And the way we do it nowadays is not only just the glance at the driveway. We do it like this. We scroll through our social media feed or we click the mouse and we scroll down through our social media feed. And we begin to compare and we begin to see. Now there's there's two emotions that happen when we do that. One is we begin to feel superior, right? We look at everybody else's pathetic life and we go, I'm pretty good. Now, some of us, we're scrolling, and our emotion is the opposite. We see our own pathetic life, and we feel very inferior. And the tragedy is, when I compare myself to other people, we we all have the tendency to compare ourselves to their highlight reel, to all the incredible things that are going on in their lives. And it's difficult here in the middle of July Because if if you get on your social media feed, everybody is on the beach in Hawaii at the moment, right? You're here at the crossing in the middle of Sunday morning, all right? And they're all at the beach. It's the best you had. But it's funny that way, isn't it? Everybody seems to be on vacation. They're buying new cars. Their kids' club team is winning all the championships. Most of all, they're always eating great food and catching Pokemon. It's it's happening everywhere. And you, you just cannot keep up. Your head wants to blow off. Here's what's true. That social media 
is the mirror from which this generation views themselves. We look in the mirror of everyone else's newsfeed. But the truth today is God would desire for us to avoid that dead end. To let him be our mirror. He wants us to look into his eyes, not our news feeds, to decide if we have what it takes, if we are worthwhile. He's the one who made you, he loves you, and he has redeemed you. So today, I want us to focus on a particular parable found in Matthew 25 that I think will help us combat this addiction, this compulsion we have to compare and to compete and to go down that path and bring some clarity to it. Now, I want to warn you, we're going to slow crawl through this parable. So here's what I need to do right now. If you are old school and you've got your Bible, open it up to Matthew 25. If you're not old school and you have your smartphone, I want you to get off Facebook right now, and I want you to get over either to the Crossing app, which is awesome, or go to straight to you version. All right, and if you've got none of that, you are not connected at all. First of all, congratulations. And secondly, we're going to put it up on the screen for you so you'll be able to read it off the screen. But today it's going to be very important because really we are going to live in this parable. This parable is called the parable of the talents. And we've been in the midst of this series as you're finding it where we've been talking about the greatest stories ever told. Now remember, just to set some foundation before we get into it, the, a parable is a made-up story that Jesus shared for a specific purpose and to make a simple point. So the fact that it's made up doesn't take away from the power of it. It has a specific purpose and a simple point. And in the one we're about to read, and then the sections around it, Jesus actually tells a number of different parables back to back to back to give us some clarity. And when he would tell them, sometimes Jesus would say, now, here's the parable, let me explain what the parable meant. Other times, he would tell the parable and just do a mic drop and walk away, not explain it at all. Other times, he would gather his disciples, his closest friends, and after he would tell the parable, he would say, now, hey guys, do you understand what the parable is about? And all the time they would say, we have no clue. And then he would sit and he would explain it to them. And many times when Jesus would share a parable, he would preface it with this statement. The kingdom of heaven is like. Or he would say, the kingdom of God is like. And I want you to, I want you to understand this because it's crucial. Because parables are our way to understand in story form how God views the world. And even more importantly, how God views you. So we ought to care about what he says in parables, especially when he says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like this. Parables give us a powerful perspective. Now, the parable of the talents, if you grew up in church, you may be familiar with it in Sunday school. And even if you didn't, that's awesome. You're going to recognize some familiar themes as we read the story, even if you didn't know that this was in the Bible. Now, the word talent means simply this, a measure of money, all right? A measure of money. And now that we've covered all that and you're like, read the parable already. Let's read the parable. All right? So you've got it in front of you. It's going to be on the screen. Beginning in verse 14. It says this. Again, it, and when Jesus said it, he meant the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God's kingdom. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted Circle that word. It's going to be a key word we're going to keep coming back to. He entrusted his wealth to them. All right? He didn't give them his, his wealth, 
The goal was for them to manage it while he was God. And he expected them while he was gone to manage it in the way that he would have done. Verse 15. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Now, like anyone would, he looked at the different people around him. And he made some judgments and he distributed the bags. The guy knew, and this is truth in our world, the guy knew that all people that worked for him did not have the similar skill set. And it's okay. So according to their skill set, according to their ability, he gave them responsibility. And whenever you read a parable, so when we're in the middle of it right now, you need to start asking these two key questions. Number one, where am I in the story? Because you're there. And number two, where is God in the story? Because he is there. Now, just for the sake of the story, we're going to say that all of you in the room today, you are two baggers. All right? I know some of you think you're five. You're not. All right? You are, you are a two bagger. All right? Two bagger. You don't get five bags. You're not that good. You don't get one bag because you're better than that. Right? Really, two bags. Think about it, which is It's just a life that you and I most likely live. There's always someone who has more There's always somebody who has less. So for the sake of finding ourselves in the parable today, you can be a secret five-bagger if you want. But we're all two-baggers. Verse 16. He says, Then, after he distributed five, two and one, he went on his journey. And the man who received five bags of gold went at once. Probably tells you why he got five. He went at once, quickly. And he put his money to work, and he gained five bags more. He went out, he invested, and he doubled his master's money. Verse 17. So also, the one with two bags, that's you and I. Here we are, guys. We're in the story. We gained two more. We doubled the money as well. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And when Jesus said that, just like you might have, the audience probably went, ooh, Because we hardly need to finish the story. We already know who this is going to end badly for. Jesus continues, verse 19. After a long time. Now this is an important phrase when you see it in a parable. Because it always means after a lifetime. So after a long time, after a lifetime, at the end of our lives... The master of those servants, verse 19, returned, and he was settling his accounts with them. This is the moment where the big question was going to be asked. He's going to say to them, what did you do with what you had? You were all given different amounts. But what specifically did you do with what you had? Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you what? Entrusted me. You didn't give it to me. You didn't even loan it to me. You allowed me to manage what belonged to you. You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained how much? Five more. Master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. And at this point, everyone in the story would have stopped. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Because five bags, five talents was like 30 to 40 years of wages in that culture. Years and years of income for the average worker. To them, that would have not been a few things. But obviously, Jesus knew that there was more, and it's his story. So he gets to tell it the way he wants. He says, you've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge, verse 21, of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This guy with five bags did what we would expect him to do. 
And the owner did what we expect him to do. He was an entrepreneur. He was a leader. He said, you've been faithful with the responsibility I gave you. And so now I'm giving you more. You were faithful and trustworthy with what I would call a little bit. So I'm giving you more to manage. Then the man, thus, with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you, and what's that word? Entrusted. You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, very similar, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then at this point, if this were a movie, the soundtrack would change. Not sure. It would be ominous. Maybe Jaws. Something would change because the story is about to take a left turn and it's not going to be happy anymore. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. And before we read on, I want you to notice what's about to be his first words. It's interesting that he didn't use the words that the other two used. That he didn't start with the phrase, you entrusted me. Somehow, this guy had lost track of the opportunity he had been given. The serious responsibility that he had. Instead, he says something very shocking and very revealing. He begins, this is crazy, he begins to point his finger at the master. He says, before I tell you anything, before I tell you what I did and didn't do, I need you to know, as the master, this is your fault. This is your fault. He says, master, verse 24, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. In other words, I knew what kind of guy you were. I knew you didn't leave anything to chance. I knew you were serious about what you do, your business. I knew that you were difficult to really understand. I know that sometimes your tactics are confusing. And so I made, first mistake, some assumptions. How many of you in your life have regretted assumptions that you made? Especially when we make assumptions about God, about what he's up to, how he feels about us. He said, I knew you, verse 25, so I was afraid. Before you get mad at me, dude, you need to understand, this is your fault. You scared me to death. And because of the way you are, I acted the way that I did. I was afraid, verse 25, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what, and he doesn't say you entrusted to me, what does he say? What belongs to you, I'm giving it back. And then the master replies, you wicked and lazy servant. Mm. And many translations take the word wicked, which is probably more appropriate, and they translate it the word worthless. It's probably more accurate. Now right here we need to remember the purpose that parables play. We need to stop and grasp the perspective on what it says about what's important to God and what it says about you and, how, about you and I and how we sh- should live. Because the master's response that he's about to give is not because the servant did something bad. It's because he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. Verse 26. You wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered seed. You know I'm a hard-driving businessman. I don't mess around. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back 
with interest. And everybody listening to Jesus was like, yeah, that's what I would have done. He's so lazy. He dug a hole. He missed the entire point. So the master says, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Wait, what? Because we're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. This is when we get all Christian and spiritual and stuff, right? We're like, Jesus, this isn't right. Like, you should at least take the one and give it to the guy who has four so that he'll have five. That guy already has ten. Maybe just split it up. Jesus is saying, it's my story. Relax. Besides, come on, everybody sitting in this room, you're a good manager, you're a good boss, you're a good business owner. You know this. You give more opportunity to the people who do the most with the opportunities you've given them. You give more opportunity to the people who do the most with the opportunities you've given them. He says, take it from him and give it to the one who has ten. Verse 29, for those who have been given more, they will have an abundance. As for those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And it's starting to get uncomfortable. It gets worse. You're still in the parable. And... Not only take away the one, but throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hint, when you read weeping and gnashing of teeth, that is never good. All right? Never good. Now, some of you read that and you think, he threw him in hell? Like, oh my gosh. So you're thinking, so obviously Jesus must be saying, if we don't manage our money very well, we're going to hell. Yep, let's close it in prayer. We're out of here. Let's go. doesn't send him to hell. It's a story. It means you're not going to be in the inner circle. You're going to be outside of God's will for your life. You're going to be outside of where God wanted to position you. You're going to be outside of what God wanted to entrust you with. The opportunities that he wanted to double for you to have an impact, you're going to be outside of that. And weeping of gnashing of teeth, we think pain, but it's not that. It's frustration and regret. That's what weeping and gnashing of teeth is. It's, I can't believe I missed it. I can't believe I did that. And Jesus says, the master looks at this dude who buried his one talent and says, I can't deal with that. These two guys, five bags, two bags, that's you and I, yay. They have a future. This guy, put him outside, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then because Jesus is this brilliant communicator, he moves on to the next parable. That's it. We're like, well, Jesus, explain, weeping, gnashing of teeth, explain, explain, explain. But he's already told us what we need to know. We just need to see it and grasp it. So here's, here's what it is. One simple point. Write it on your neighbor's arm and pin. All right? It's this. What you have, what you've been given, is less important than what you do with what you have. Sounds simple and obvious, but I want you to just ponder that for a moment. Because most of us, we obsess over what we don't have, and we forget to do with what we have. So Jesus is saying, pay attention to what you're doing and stop obsessing about what you have or what somebody else has, right? Now, here's a bookshelf. You didn't know it because you've been staring at it for a few minutes, but this actually represents your life. Cool, huh? So this, this is pretty typical of our lives. So like all of us, we have like a network of friends, right? We're connected to people. These are friends. Some of us have a lot of friends. Some of us are not as friendly, but we have some friends. All of us, we have time. Some of us, we feel like we're running out of time. 
Some of us feel like we've wasted our time, but we all have a certain amount of time in our life. Some of us, we, have, we all have some education. We have learning. Some of us, we have a lot. Some of us have some. We have our family that, that, that we look at. We have our talents that we've been given to fill up our lives. We have talents like that. We have money. Right? We have our finances, all different amounts of finance, but we all have something in our life. We have dreams, things that we look into the future that we want to see and, and goals that we want to accomplish. We have those. We have our health, ways in which we, we try to stay healthy and try to stay um, fit. We have our work. We have our careers, or we're going to have one. We're working towards that. This question mark is interesting because this is, this is what's unique about you. Right? This is like the, the slot that everybody's is different. Right? It's the way God's wired you and specific things that you are and the way that you're awesome and the way that you have certain challenges and quirks and, and uniqueness about you. And it's all our story. We all have our own story. And this, this is like in our parable, this is what God has entrusted to you. All of these different parts of your life that make up your story is what he's entrusted to you. Now, some of you, you have some of this that you like, and others of you, like, I don't like some of that, right? Like, some of you are like, my family doesn't look like that, right? You're like, I, I don't even like my family that much, right? Some of you are like, well, I, I did some schooling, but I wish I would have finished college. I wish I would have got my degree. Some of you, you've, you've had some issues with your finances. Some of you, you your health. You've had good health, and some of you are like, man, I need to get back to doing something about my health. Some of you are in the middle of changing your career. We have all of that. But Jesus says this. He says, listen, what I want you to understand in the parable is what you currently have, what God has given you, okay, is less important than what you do with what you have. Well, don't just analyze everything. Do something with it. Because think about it. The, the favorite stories that we love to hear are not about people that just like have a ton and they like still have a ton, right? We, we love to hear stories about people who started off and it didn't seem like they had a lot, right? Maybe their families weren't awesome. They had, they had a tough childhood. Or maybe they started out with very little resources. And we love and we're inspired by those stories when they, they become successful or, or they do something that has a purpose or they change or they transform our world. We love all of those stories and they inspire us. And every time you hear one of those stories or you read one of those stories, I bet what you don't hear is this. Every day, man, I would wake up and I would think about all the money that everybody else has. And I would just obsess as I ate my Cheerios. Every day I would get up and I would think about what everybody else has, how they had a better family, a better story than me. And I would just think about it day after day after day. I just obsess. And then one day I woke up and I was a success. We know that's not true. We know that. Even if you're not a, a Christ follower yet. We know that successful people naturally, for them it's irrelevant what they begin with or what they have. But they know it's what you do with what you have. So when Jesus taught this parable to you and I, here's what he implied. That if you're a Christ follower, it takes it to another level. If you've embraced the teaching of Jesus, that everything, we believe everything that's been placed on your shelf, no matter what it is or no matter what amount, the good and the bad, it all came through the filter of God's love, of God's grace, and God's plan for your life. Whatever is on 
your shelf. And it's a waste of time for us to complain about what's not there. It's just like the guy with his shovel burying the one because he was afraid and he probably wished he had been given five. We all have to give an account of our lives to God. So I want to ask you to do this in, with this parable in mind, is that we would learn to live open-handed. That we would learn to live open-handed, to open up our hands to what God has placed uniquely in our lives for you to do. To view those things and to think about those things. Not that you don't have, but to think about those specific things that God has entrusted to you, to no one else. What he has placed in your hands that is unique and what you do with it is the most important thing of all. And when you live with your hands wide open, when you live with your hands wide open, guess what? When you're tempted to look to the left or the right at your neighbor or at their news feed or at your brother-in-law, you can't stand. And you're tempted to look at them and you tend to look over here. All you got to do is just stay focused right here. God, this is, this is you and me. This is what we're about. You're my mirror, God. I'm going to take my cue from you. And then you can say to God, you can say to God this, which is, which is so awesome. God, I wasn't born with a lot necessarily. There wasn't much opportunity, but here's what I did with it. And some of you in the room, you can say, God, I, I was blessed. I was born with wealth and resources. And God, guess what? I did this with it. Here's, here's what I was, as you entrusted this to me, here's what I was able to do. And everything in between. God, I was born with poor health. God, I was born with amazing health. God, I had a great family. God, I had a dysfunctional family. Whatever it is, we get the opportunity, you and I, to open up our hands and say to God, here's what belongs to you that you entrusted to me while you went on a journey. And so every day when I'm tempted to look at everyone else's shelf and think, man, if only, if only. Some of you like that. You drove in the parking lot today, right? And you parked next to the Beamer. And you had to like shove your fender back up into your car when you got out to walk in here. <laughs> and you're like, dude, right? Guess what? You're worshiping around people this morning like they were singing and you were singing. You're worshiping around people that actually have five bags and you only got one. What are you going to do with what God has placed in your hands that he has entrusted to you? And though you may never say it out loud, there's a sense in which if we get stuck comparing ourselves to other people, here's what we're saying. Remember the guy with one. You say, nah, I wouldn't say that. This is what you're saying. You're saying, God, it's your fault. I would do more, God, but it's your fault. It's you. You stuck me in this family. It's your fault I didn't finish my education. You could have given me more health, more skill, more money. God, it's your fault. You're tempted to say this. God, if I could just win the Megabucks lottery, I would be so much more generous. God's like, no, you won't. Because you're not generous with what you have in your hands right now. Why would I ever entrust you with that? Because we can't live if only lives. We can't make assumptions about God and bury the one thing that he's placed in our hands, that his expectation is he's entrusted it to you to do incredible things with. So the question is, what are you going to do with what God has entrusted to you? Because here's the deal. We do it all the time. We overestimate. We overestimate what we would do with the opportunity we don't have 
We think, man, if I just had that. And we underestimate what we could do with the opportunities we already have. We do it all the time. And Jesus says that doesn't fly in the kingdom of God. That story is not one that you want to tell. This is a, it's a pillowcase. I stole it off my daughter's pillow this morning. She's at college. She don't care. Pretty basic, like Walmart probably, I'm sure. It's, it's effective. It does what it's supposed to do. All right? This is, this is another pillowcase right here. It's pretty cool. It's a pillowcase too. See, I didn't know that much about this, the story of this. I, I, on Tuesdays, I would see these gals, though. Tuesday mornings, I'd walk across our campus going to a meeting or something, and there'd be all these gals, 10, 15, 20 of these gals, and they would be in the old lobby across the courtyard, and they'd be like cutting and sewing and talking, and they'd be doing all this. And what they were doing is they were taking pillowcases, and they were making dresses, making dresses. And it gets even better because then these dresses we would take and we'd give to our teams. And so this week from Columbia, our team posted a picture, and here's all these little girls with these dresses. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that awesome? Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If I took a pillowcase, I could maybe make a bandana or something. Just cut it, <laughs> wrap it around my head. But these ladies, these ladies in obscurity, none of you knew about it. None of you know, and that's cool. They just came in, and they took a pillowcase a basic pillowcase, and they opened up their hands, and they said, what can we do with the skills that God has given us? What can we uniquely do with that story that can change the world? And now we see these dresses being taken to Africa and the Dominican Republic and Colombia, and there's little girls all over the world who, who feel important. They feel pretty. They feel like they are able to do something with their life because they get this. They get this. So the question you and I have to ask is simply this. This isn't just cute. This should be convicting. What has God placed in your hands? What's your pillowcase? What's the thing that you go, ah, it doesn't really matter. It's not much. I'm just trying to get through the day. And God said, no, 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 no. I've entrusted to you, right? Across this campus, we have people right now who have taken something and they put it in their hands. We got teachers that are in obscure classrooms where your kid is right now, sitting in a circle, and they're learning about Jesus Right? And we think, while we're in here, and they're going, here, this is what I got. You know, I'm just going to open my hands, and I'm going to pour into a kid. Some of you are going to travel to different, some of you brought backpacks today and school supplies. You think, ah, no, that's what I'm talking about. That's when we don't bury. Can you imagine, parents, how it could change your parenting if you begin to communicate to your kids, this is what God is in trust. This is who you are. Who you're uniquely baby, and this is how God has entrusted you. How could it change our marriages if we understood the individual that we've been connected with and covenanted with to live our entire life with? If we understood you're uniquely wired, and I want you to just open your hands to whatever God has entrusted you to be. How could that change us? Because today, I believe that throughout this room, God wants to change us. However many bags we've been given, it's not about what we have it's about what you have determined and committed to do with what God has entrusted to you. So I want to challenge you today, just do this. I mean, literally, wherever you're sitting in the room, just do this right now. Some of you dudes are like, no, I'm like, yes. Just do it, all right? Your wife will think it's cute. Look, you participated in church today, dear. Right? Just hold it there for a second, all right? 
Some of you get crazy in just a minute because I'm going to pray and you're going like, to do this, but don't get too crazy, all right? I want you to hold right now and I just want you to think right now as we prepare to pray. Just think, in your particular life, what is it that you uniquely hold in your hands? What is it that God has placed there? How has he wired you? How has he directed you and guided you right now in your life? And have you, have you lived as if it was entrusted to you or have you buried it? And how do we want to change that reality?